Welcome to We Dig Metal Evolution, a special Let It Roll Maxi series discussing Sam Dunn's Metal Evolution documentary series, hosted by Nate Wilcox with Eugene S. Robinson of the art punk band Oxbow and entertainment lawyer Alexi Ald. Let It Roll is the insanely ambitious musical history podcast. We've covered the early history of rock and roll, country music in the 20th century, the rise of hip-hop, disco, and electronic dance music, and now heavy metal. Stay tuned for our histories of Broadway, opera, punk rock, jazz, blues, and gospel. Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter, at Let It Rollcast, and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast, and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.pantheonpodcasts.com. Today, Nate, Eugene, and Alexi discuss the big three of British heavy metal, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, and Deep Purple. Email us at letitrollpodcast at gmail.com. Pop in those earbuds and enjoy. It's time to let it roll. I'm your host, Nate Wilcox, and we're back again with entertainment lawyer Alexi Old and veteran performer Eugene S. Robinson to continue our discussion of Sam Dunn's Metal Evolution series that aired on VH1 a few years back. The third episode is called Early Metal Part 2, UK Division, and covers the British blues boom, represented by John Mayall and the Yardbirds and Cream, and then turns to the big three of early British metal, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, and Deep Purple Mark II. Then they discuss David Coverdale and Glenn Hughes and Deep Purple Mark III, Richie Blackmore's Rainbow featuring Ronnie James Dio, and Rap with Judas Priest, the first of a new wave of self-described heavy metal bands. Gentlemen, what do we think of episode three? Alexia, I know you're going to hate it, so I'll let you go first. How did you know? (laughs) I got to tell you, I did like it. The thing that hit me for the first time, I don't know if it hit you guys before or I'm just the freakish one here, but when they were playing the early UK blues, it sounded really bad. It reminded me of like cosplay. It's like, it's just like the harmonic play. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, on the beat. Oh, oh, oh. And I watched it and I never had that reaction. It's been decades since I've listened to it or watched it. And just for some reason, just hit me all. It's like, that's some horrible sounding, like, (laughs) cover band. blues kind of stuff so i don't know just for some reason i see i see so so instead of hating the show you're gonna hate the performers because well first off you can't judge uk blues you shouldn't even really call it blues like you you can't treat it as but they did they set it up that's the one thing like they set it up the wrong way probably though it was called it was called blues but i mean it's the cream like and that's not their best stuff I no i know it's not that's what i'm saying yeah. like i think they do they did set them up because just the presentation yeah. and which probably like, and they had the blues in the uk too and then you see it's like <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah. see but see the problem is you're going you're going micro and, and not macro on this right i mean they didn't they didn't short shrift american black african-american uh, blues musicians um there was in like indigenous african music in england they just weren't you know, it was local. They didn't give a shit about the Trojan music stuff, you know, all the stuff coming out of the, the Caribbean transplant that was being played right under their ears. 
that's not something that you know that became reggae that's not something that that left an impression on them until 20 years later when it was picked up by a lot of the two-tone bands so they looked to it i mean if you compare it to what happened in america where blues musicians were you know more exploited ripped off you know and uh and uh you know and that's, what, that, and that's what makes the music sound so much better you know like when people are being exploited <laughs> there's just something about the blood sucking the blood sucking like, fingernails just driving with the souls and the economic futures <laughs> of the persecuted people that just brings out the best Sound man. It's the well, same see, to me, that- to me, to me, it felt like a real, a real tribute. So, like, a, like a real, like a, you know, even though it could be later be said that maybe they could have kicked Willie Dixon a few freaking checks at some point or another, it felt well, like Cream a real did. tribute versus, yeah. Unlike Led Zeppelin, Cream gave credit to the, yeah. the songs. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Know, versus uh, who is the, who is the guy? Who is the guy who did Led Tutti Zeppelin. Fruity? No, Tutti oh, Fruity. Pat Papoon, bam, boom. I mean that, you know. Yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah. That's that, what Americans did with it. At least the Brits were like, okay, we're going to ignore all the Trojan record stuff coming here from the Caribbean, and we're going to pay attention to, to you know other indigenous people's music. But you know, whatever they played it back, they 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 poked fun at themselves and said, we want to play the blues so badly that we played it so badly. <laughs> I think I can't I can't remember who, I can't remember who said that, but that's a famous quote. So. And so I, I should summarize a little bit what we're talking about. They they start this episode by by going to the British blues boom, which is properly something that happened around 68, mm. spearheaded by Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac, coming out of John Mayall's Blues Breakers, which they talked to John Mayall. And Mayall's famous because he made an album with Eric Clapton, and then he made an album with Peter Green. Then he made an album with Mick Taylor, who goes on to join the Rolling Stones. So, you know, three uh, great British blues guitarists, if you're into that kind of thing. Yeah. And I, I got the feeling they were talking to Mayall. Well, he's a perfectly good figurehead for the British blues boom. He was in, in it from 60. I was shocked he was, he was still alive. Yes. They caught many of these guys are not that, that are, you know, that were alive yeah. in 2010 or whatever, when they taped yeah, us yeah. like John Lord. Yeah. Um, others. Yeah, yeah. But I guarantee you the reason they didn't talk to cream and they didn't talk to the Jeff Beck group or even really mention the Jeff Beck group. They mentioned Jeff Beck, but they don't mention the Jeff Beck group, but they talk about cream. Because Clapton's leave, an idiot? Well, no, because Clapton, Baker, and Bruce wanted nothing to do with heavy metal. They saw themselves yeah. as yeah, a hard rock group. They didn't even see yeah. themselves as a hard rock group. Cream thought they were a jazz band, yeah, yeah. or two-thirds of them thought they were a jazz band, and yeah, Eric yeah. Clapton thought he was a blues guitarist. Yeah. You know, and, that, and that's kind of what's interesting about Cream. To me, what's interesting about Cream is Jack Bruce's pop songs and Sunshine of Your Love. And and the original stuff they did, I, yes. I agree with you that they were not especially good uh, mm. as a blues band. Although I think Clapton's a perfectly good blues guitarist when when he just wails. No, um, I meant his 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 racism, fascism. Yes, yes, yes. But they didn't and play that though. That's the thing. So again, it's not. Yeah. I'm not throwing the entire British music scene or British blues scene oh, yeah. under the bus. I'm saying what they chose to show as representative <laughs> of it. For the yeah. first time ever that I've listened to some yeah. of those groups, it was presented in a way in which I cringed because it seemed like cosplay blues players. Other yeah. contexts never felt that way, never felt that way before. Listened to entire albums, enjoyed it. But just when I just watched it, it, this documentary, just the, the yeah. clips they showed and the way they juxtaposed things and described it, the whole presentation, it just was cringy. 
Yeah, and if and even that song "Spoonful" by Cream, if you hear it on the album in the context of the other stuff they were doing, you know, it, it can slip past. But and Jack Bruce's harmonica playing is notably bad, and and has been, which is weird. Since he's a virtuoso bass player and a good singer. Set him up, man. Know. Just like Marion yeah. Barry. Yeah, but so I think I think that you know the same problem they had with Led Zeppelin, and we'll get to that in a minute. They had with Eric Clapton and all the guys in Cream, Jeff Beck and Rod Stewart all disavowed heavy metal you know but but they leave what they leave out here is that cream happened in a context that also included the Jimi hendrix experience which they talked about hendrix in the first episode but they don't put him in in context as a british act which is really what he was he He didn't make it in america he made it in britain with you know the two white guys in the experience and they also leave out the jeff beck group with rod stewart which is where the whole robert plant model of a heavy metal band was put together you know you get rod stewart and jeff beck you've got the the virtuoso singer cock of the walk with the big blonde haircut swaggering around and can sing to match the guitar playing and they then they show the yardbirds with jimmy page because they cannot use any led zeppelin music so i'm not going to ding them for not being allowed to use led zeppelin music and 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 i think that yardbirds is a good example of what they were trying to show which was that the early r&b in Britain, like the Stones and the Pretty Things and the Yardbirds and the Kinks, was this amphetamine rushed stuff, which I love. I view it as kind of proto-punk. It's not, you can't compare it to the R&B songs they were covering. It's just a different thing. Yep. You know, and then they, they say, well, you know, what happened was that they got more comfortable and they slowed down and they figured out heavy and they also got martial amps. Um, anyway, but they left out they left out the other two of the big three of that era. And I think gave cream short shrift because they don't talk about white room or sunshine or your love or anything like that. And then the other thing they leave out is British hard rock, like mm. Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac, you know, Green Man Alicia with the two point crown, Judas Priest cover. It's a perfectly credible metal song, but it was done in the context of a blues hard rock yeah. band. And the same thing with free. You know, all right now and all that. Which is funny you say that because they hinted at it. So when they had, when they talked to, I know, you know, it's foreshadowing, when they talked to Black Sabbath, they said, we saw ourselves as a hard rock band. But they did not play, the, like you said, they didn't show the context of what they were referencing, right? So like, yeah. oh, that's why they would consider it. Oh, it makes sense instead of the harmonica crazed. You know, but then again, it makes, it makes them seem more unique when you do not show the groups that they're referencing and they're contextualizing their music Mm -hmm. in. And, and also those song rights are expensive. So, you know, clearly they didn't have, isn't it, isn't it, isn't it, if you play less than 30 seconds, isn't it, uh, that doesn't cover it. Yeah. Okay. There's, 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 there's none of that, but I mean the, the craftiest way to date that I have seen to get away Mm -hmm. with that stuff is what they did with almost famous in which in the extras, they said, we wanted to play this song. We weren't able to. So if you have this song, we're going to have a countdown and you play it. We're going to have a, the countdown, you're going to put it in and you go to this track and you play it. You see how perfect this would be. Ready? Yeah. Five, four, three, <laughs> two, one, boom. And they do that and you can't be sued for it because you're playing the music. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah that's, a, that's, a, that's the thing. Some of these cats, I mean, they, they look old, but they don't know they're old. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> like, you know, you, you try to yeah. read any, you try to read any interview with Ginger Baker and it's like, oh, you're, you're, He's not 
yeah, yeah. And that Jeez. documentary with him, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but that's a pretty entertaining documentary. He hits the director in the face with his cane at one point. Yeah, um, yeah. I, the something that Marvel, marvelous Mr. Baker or whatever. But then anyway, then it, it, could, it, to- it could be it could be just drummers. I mean, you know, Max Roach <laughs> threatened to ki- threatened to kick my ass as well. So between Max Roach and Buddy Rich and Ginger Baker. These guys are pills, man. And Charlie yeah. and Charlie Watts recently is like, I'm not going on tour. They're like, he's, what? He's, he's out. Of, Ill. Like, he's, yeah, he's, he's like, whatever. <laughs> he's also he could have toured. He's also the one that punched Jagger in the face, right? And and Cold Cockman took him took him yeah, right on yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but let's let's keep moving. And so then they they moved to the big three of British heavy metal, the first era of heavy metal, which is Zeppelin, Sabbath, and Deep Purple Mark II. Zeppelin. The poor guy goes to the offices of Robert Plant's manager and sort of looks around and they show still photos of Zeppelin. They have Jimmy Page playing with the Yardbirds, but they can't use any Led Zeppelin music and they don't really have much. I think they could have interviewed some people around Led Zeppelin and told a little bit more of the Zeppelin story. They should have talked about John Bonham's incredible influence on every heavy metal drummer that followed. I mean, they spend a lot of time talking about the jazz stylings of geezer butler and bill ward and black sabbath which they already covered once and and i think could have easily skipped that for having some to have somebody talk about john bonham a little bit you know um but But there's a certain you know know, there's also a certain amount of shade if you talk about regional politics those cats didn't you know those guys in in deep purple and and uh (laughs) and zeppelin they didn't think that Black Sabbath was shit. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. They so. did not respect Black Sabbath as peers no, whatsoever. No, They're from London, no. Sabbath's from Birmingham. Yeah. I mean yep. Plant and Bonham were from the sticks too, but not from Birmingham, which is an other yeah. shithole. And they do go into that and how this brutal industrial environment, or even post industrial by the time Sabbath is coming up, forms Sabbath, you know, as as Best As, segment so far in the series, I thought. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Especially yeah. since I if mean, you if you spend any time in, in Birmingham at all, like there's a big festival there now called Supersonic, which we played like three, maybe two or three times. <laughs> I tell you, Bristol is not. <laughs> I mean, you know, they Bristol or Birmingham. Don't get them confused. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Bur- Birmingham is yeah. where Super yeah. Supersonic Festival is, and. That town owes a really serious major debt to like Black Sabbath, like the same people who did Supersonic last year or the year before shutdown. They did this big, massive Black Sabbath tribute. It was like Black Sabbath month in Birmingham. People flew from all over Europe to be there. And, and uh, you know, Iomi was, you know, and they had, you know, the, the, the children of Black Sabbath, like the heavy bands play. It was, it's actually pretty phenomenal. But out, it's just, a pretty down you know what it's like it's like lodi new jersey <laughs> so oh. for people for, yeah for, there you go just yeah. yeah but they but they now have like a look like a flourishing art scenes so like little art there's, there's something happening but you just get out to the neighborhoods and you see some of those bombed out buildings still and you can see that those guys out of all of those bands they really needed this to happen yeah. it was like if i don't get out of birmingham i'm never getting out so you know yeah yeah and 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 they do a good job of painting that picture. And I think they also did a good job. They talked to um, Jim Simpson, who was their original manager, and they talked to the head of Vertigo Records, who was the only record company that would take a chance on him. And Simpson boils it down pretty well. You know, there was dozens and dozens of bands, all in denim, all playing yeah. endless blues solos. And 
they don't mention Sabbath was called Earth at the time and was doing the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and pretty successfully. I mean, they were successful enough to have a manager and, and, and get some backing. But then he encouraged them to write their own songs, which is where Wicked World and Black Sabbath come in and, and totally unique. And I love Geezer's story about the first time they played Black Sabbath. They end their set with it. And people go so apeshit that they have to play it two, play it times two more times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The most relatable segment also, I, I don't know about you guys, but just watching it, of all of the groups that they've shown so far, or even individual performers, just you're just rooting for them. And you could just totally yeah, identify yeah. with everything that they're going yeah. through. And I don't know if it's a function of the access that they, I mean, so far in the series that yeah. that they gave, you know, the different components of it, the manager, you know, A&R, like, I don't know if it's, it, you're, you're given a, a more total picture of what they had to go through. And that's what made it endearing. Uh, or whether or not it's just it's it's a endearing story, you know. But you're just totally just mesmerized, just caught up, and just can can even the success they have now, you can you can still hear the angst and the disappointment from what <laughs> yeah. they experienced in the past. You know, you know what I, what I thought was so baffling is that if you listen to like War Pigs and stuff, that, that's a, that's actually a really funky song. Like it's really it's oh, yeah. rhythmic, but then to watch Ozzy, he is so freaking arrhythmic in his body. But he can't even a, sing on the beat ever. Yeah, it's like Bushwick Bill for his singers. Like if you yes. try to copy Ozzy's phrasing, yes, it's really really hard because he's right, literally not paying attention. To Anybody the beat that the has a time machine, it, what you got to do is you got to kidnap <laughs> Ozzy and Bushwick. <laughs> In their primes, <laughs> and have to do an album. An easy E, like a guy who like just oh, has yeah. to be taught. Like. No, no, but wa- watch it, watching him. It was, it was, it was. I tried to say, like, what would have to happen to me before I would have? So, like, I'm as a front man. I'm like listening, and he's playing, and I'm like, I, I, I can't get where he is off. I can't get to where he is off. Have you always felt that, or was it just in this one? Um, you know what I mean? Was it like one of these moments where it's like, oh my god, this is—I've never seen this no, before. No, or you've no, always when it I, when I've seen him solo, he—he—it's now mutated into something that's just comfortably Ozzy. But you look at the early stuff, and it was like, that man, he's—I he, can't even be that arrhythmic. He's—it's just weird. And they—they've done studies now and tests about brain stuff, and have discovered that some people just don't just don't you know can't hear the one they just they can't they can't they've tested yeah. them their brains and yet he hits his cues wow. i mean that's yep. the weird thing is he he hits his cues and he comes in in the same offbeat way every yep. time so he's <laughs> yep. he's talented as i'll get out it's just a unique gift wow. yep. to say the least yep. but yeah like the story about them getting turned down by every record company or driving the entire length of england to play an audition for some record company guy at 11 a.m yeah. in the morning yeah. and the guy yeah. walks out after two songs i mean you know and also the fact that they as soon as that record hit the market it started moving unit yeah and like they were like if if you read a biography of them it's not that interesting once it gets once they have a record out because boom they're just off and running and at that yep. point they're just yep. coked up idiots just yeah, yeah. you know they're, they're, they have a run where they're still making good records for quite a while but you know and, and also i think it helped that they didn't talk to iomi or ozzy and sharon you know uh, and, yeah, and, yeah yeah and, and bill they caught in a period when he was in good health and lucid because this was a yeah. guy who was an infamous space cadet for 20 something years. I was, 
amazed at how lucid and intelligent he was for these interviews. Uh, and, and also, you, you, you kind of sort of allude to the fact that I don't think they get a proper amount of credit for. I, I, mean, I mean, there were others who had kind of done it, but they were a total package in the sense of they had the weird kind of occultism thing happening, which, you know, Zeppelin was kind of coy about and, and Aleister Crowley is still is still occult light I mean Black Sabbath there's nothing occult light about Black Sabbath and they made later claims that they were not you know allied with evil but the, everything else belied that in my mind so my, my wife yeah. walked in when I was watching it and she when she was hearing it and she's like oh my god the devil <laughs> <laughs> just hearing yeah. he's like I gotta get out of here <laughs> yeah, all, yeah all those tritones and everything but like they showed the first episode they swiped that from classical music so that yeah, you yeah, know yeah, yeah. old old and bold tradition but what, we gotta cover it's deep purple now and 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 you know, they, they, they tell the story of Deep Purple. They introduced the concept of Mark, Deep Purple Mark One, which was the original, the classic, you know, Richie Blackmore on guitar, Ian Pace on drums, John Lord on keyboards, with two other guys, I, I didn't even bother to remember their name, singing and playing bass. And John Lord comes out and says that we were trying to be Vanilla Fudge. And I'm glad yeah. they mentioned Vanilla Fudge because for a minute there in 67, they were the heaviest band on earth. Yep. And uh, they are the reason that there's heavy keyboards in heavy rock bands that, that all comes from vanilla fudge the slowing down of tempos and everything that's all vanilla fudge vanilla fudge made a slew of really crappy lsd influenced albums that killed them um but they were a big deal jeff beck talks about them all the time deep purple built their whole career on imitating them so you know mm. um i'm glad they got a little bit of shine here but then then they came to their senses, fired the the original singer and bassist who weren't bad. I mean, they, you know, Hush is a, is a good song and, you know, it is what it is. But once they got Ian Gillian and Roger Glover, boom, you know, yeah. other than the, they initially do an album with the symphony orchestra, which they don't talk about that, um, which is pretty painful. I, I don't know what your tolerance yeah. for pretentious middle brow prog rock is, but that black yeah. or deep purple with, with symphony orchestra is, yeah. it's moody blues caliber. Oh, yeah, man. Without man. the pop hit, without the pop hooks. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. but, but then they get, you know, the classic lineup in rock highway star, you know, smoke on the water, all that stuff. But then they I thought that, about, I thought that, I thought that, I thought that was pretty compelling. Their their drill down on smoke on the water. <laughs> yeah, was it, it was because you forget that it's an actually a song and not just a yeah. four note riff that any idiot with that could play on a pay a payphone. I had a guy I was friends with who played on the payphone. Said, hey man, listen to this. I had to smoke a lot of weed to get there. You know? <laughs> How many, how many tries did he get it in, man? Oh, no. He had perfected it when he played it oh, for okay. me, but... you, you, don't, you don't come to Eugene with smoke on the water. Just wait a know, second. Hold on. You... Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. Hold on. Hold on. But, yeah, no, don't, that's sorry, they, and they, they also don't mention what an asshole Richie Blackmore is reputed to be by everyone who ever dealt with him. They managed to somehow just glide right around that. Like, you know... Um, but otherwise, I mean, I thought it was a pretty extensive Deep Purple section. What do you think? What What was your take on on this one, Alexi? I mean, yeah, it was all right. Yeah, I listened to Deep Purple before I listened to Black Sabbath, 
and, and uh, the record I listened to, I think, was Machine Head, and uh, I was disappointed. Classic. I was disappointed. Oh, I the time? no, back I in the it. day or recently? Yeah, no, I'm talking about when I was a kid when it came out. You know, yeah. I was I was huh. disappointed because I expected more, right? Um, I don't know what that meant, but in the context of me being whatever, you know. 12 years old or whenever I first heard it, it was in the house. You know, my, my stepfather was a journalist and wrote about music. So that's how we had it. It's not that he was into that type of music particularly, but I do remember the first time I heard Sabbath being impressed. So we're talking about given the nature of this type of music, we're talking about music that wasn't being played on the radio, that I wasn't able to tune into WPLJ in New York and listen to. So it was with as fresh of an ear and an eye and a mind as you ever were going to have. And, uh, you know, I, I, I came to develop a liking for Deep Purple, um, you know, but I, I, I there was never a time when I didn't like Black Sabbath. Right. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, Sabbath was mother's milk for me being yeah. the age I was and where I was born. I mean, everybody played Black Sabbath all the time. Yeah. Everybody thought it was stupid. People made fun of it. You know, and thought you were a glue sniffing moron for listening to it, but everybody listened to it all the time. People made fun of people who liked Kiss when I was starting to listen to hard music, Um, but nobody ever made fun of Black Sabbath. I mean, you keep in mind for a long time, that stuff for a lot of people was genuinely scary. You know, like I I always go back to when that first Venom record came out and it was like, it was like, it was like somebody had people whispered about it. They they talked about it when, you know, a a friend of mine, Albert, Albert Chang lent it to me. He brought it over and it was like wrapped in news. Like you just, you didn't, you know, people took that stuff really seriously. And it wasn't until Rollins had come back from, England and had toured Black Flag had toured with Venom where he was like those guys are lame they're weak that that you know they started to kind of crumble where you know guys yeah. who are Satanists it's not like they have an inner line on anything they're just like you know Christians who uh, who, who, who don't read well you know, yeah know. They're, they're looking to be the bad guys but yeah so so Deep Purple I think they cover pretty exhaustively and and what We'll talk about the later permutations in the next segment, but I do want to mention they don't mention Uriah Heep at all, who is the fourth yeah. biggest British heavy. Which I can, I, I mean, Uriah Heep really. I went back and listened to him because I was thinking that, and they're very Deep Purple yeah. oriented, pretty much just a poor man's Deep Purple. But they also don't mention Budgie at all, and Budgie uh, is a totally, totally killer heavy yeah, band from yeah, that period. Yeah. And, Yep. You know, and when you talk about the next section, remind me because they left out Queen and Thin Lizzy and UFO, and I think all three of those groups need a mention. But yep. we'll take a quick break here and come back with more discussion of Metal F- Evolution Episode Three when we return. And now, a word from our sponsors.
we're back. We'll continue our discussion of Metal Evolution Episode 3, Early Metal, UK Division. I believe I've been calling it Pre-Metal for this ep- all of this episode and then the episode previous, both of which should have been called Early Metal. Apologies. So, after we cover the big three, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, then they have sort of an odd segment, which I call the big three go soft. And, mm. you know, they've learned to avoid this kind of thing in hip-hop evolution and the pop series they're doing now on Netflix. I don't for the life of me know why we needed to get into this. In, I mean, they already spent like five minutes talking about how much Deep Purple like to improv and how people in guitar stores play smoke on the water too much. And now they're going off and talking about how Black Sabbath got into keyboards which I really don't think is relevant to our tale. Am I wrong? What am I missing here? No, why, why no did... 100%, 100% right. But, you know, at the same time, it, you know, I got a, I words of defense for people who are journalists and trying to put stuff together. I mean, unless you come at it with some sort of cachet and known, uh, known quality, getting people is, you know, is difficult. I mean, you know, I've told you before, my famous uh, on the way driving to interview Ronnie James Dio and the PR person calls me as I pull up to the building saying, don't go in. He's having some sort of paranoid break, says people are out to get him. The, the interview is not happening. I mean, so to a certain extent, I understand the guys getting what they're get, you know, trying to make uh, silk purses out of Sal's ears. So yeah. I, that, that's what I chalked, that's what I chalked it up to. Cause it was really sort of a nothing, nothing deal. Right. I think the, I think the only point that they had was trying to explain what went on with Deep Purple after Ian Gillian and Roger Glover get kicked out of the band and they have David Coverdale and Glenn Hughes, which they lump in with this Sabbath taking up keyboards thing, which, you know, Mm. Sabbath getting keyboards is one thing on volume four. And then it's a little more questionable on Sabbath, bloody Sabbath. And they talk about Rick Wakeman of yes, playing the keyboards on that. Then they get, by the time they get to technical ecstasy, black Sabbath had well and truly lost their way. I mean, so black Sabbath getting a hold of keyboards was, probably the wrong turn but deep purple mark three with david coverdell and glenn Hughes. i went back and listened to stormbringer and and burn and and that stuff's pretty good and the the stuff they played i mean Mm. it is a bit more funk influenced and it has less of the medieval bach style twiddly diddly stuff that richie blackmore loves so much but it's pretty rocking and and they don't outright diss it but they kind of use it as to set up Mm you know, Richie Blackmore's next move, which they have to talk about. And, and, you know, you already mentioned Ronnie James Dio and he's massively important. But before we get there, I think the big thing that they missed here was Prague. They talk about glam rock and how glam rock gets really big in England, but they don't talk about Prague rock at all, except in the context of Deep Purple being Prague. And I know it's not metal, but the reality is Emerson, Lake and Palmer, and yes, we're going multi-platinum in the States in 71, 72, and if you read the magazines from that period of time, there was this immense pressure on people like Black Sabbath and T-Rex to be smart, like Emerson, Lake yeah. and Palmer, yeah. and, and, yeah. and to yeah. be progressive. And it really had yeah. like, you know, this meaning to it. And and some of the stuff ELP was doing, like the cover of Brain Salad Surgery with the Geiger, yeah. uh, you know, H.R. Geiger album cover. Giger. Giger, excuse me, thank you. That was, you know, definitely. It's not Giger. Hey, (laughs) that's why we have. I went to his his museum in Switzerland, and they uh, gave you the skinny. Mm. Exactly. Exactly. So, 
anyway, that's that's the only thing I thought they missed there. And then they have a quick glam rock segment, which is entirely focused on Sweet, which yeah. is kind of appropriate because Sweet's definitely the most metal of the glam bands yeah. with ballroom blitz and everything else. And I do love that the guy from Sweet that they talked to had aged so remarkably and yet had kept the long blonde wig. I don't think it was a wig in the 70s. <laughs> hey, man. Hey, man. Hey, you don't know that it was a wig now. I, yeah, of course. I do not know that it was a wig now, but it sure looked like a wig. Um, but I, felt bad, they, I, felt, I felt bad for laughing about it, you know? You know, I feel like if it's something that person did that they can't help, you shouldn't laugh about it. But if it's a wig that they bought, put on, and then paraded around in, it's it's fair game. That I mean, you know, I've I've considered wigs. I'm sure Alexi's considered wigs. I mean, you know, no, I like you know? a ball, baby. <laughs> I know a guy. I had guy, too many years of bad hairstyles, so it's just so much easier. I don't know what's in that Phil Spector trial. I had real wig envy. I mean, I'd love to be able to bust out, you know. A different crazy look every day and it apparently does great things with the jury oh wait not hey, anyway man. Hey, hey, man. There's, there's a guy there's a guy i know who i do jujitsu with he said he's got hair tattooed on his head i go get out of here he goes no he does so i had to roll with the guy just so sometime during the roll i could go like this i go fucking hey they were right and he was like what oh you mean the tattoo i was like yeah got <laughs> hair tattooed on his head man Wow, so other than touching it, it you, if they not told you, you would never. How long have you seen the guy? You know, oh, have you known for a while? Months, months, wow, and, months, and, and it looked like it hair. Like, yeah. Wow, and Milton, well, and here Milton Berle was spray painting his head brown all those years. <laughs> so, but, said, hold on, what? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I want to hear the hair story. <laughs> <laughs> back to the topic at hand. The, but the thing I leave out of glam rock is Slade. I mean, Slade was absolutely the most influential of the glam rock bands on the story they're about to tell. They're going to do a whole episode on glam rock, which you know is going to mention Quiet Riot, which whose whole career was covering Slade songs. So they probably couldn't get a hold of Naughty Holder or any of the guys from Slade, is my guess. But I would like to have seen uh, a little bit more of that. And then the other thing that they left out. And what they leave this out? This is a big one. Queen. Oh. Queen's not even on their list. Like you see some bands, like they show the graphics with their list of band names and everything. And Thin Lizzy, which I'm about to complain about being left out, Thin Lizzy is on there. Queen is not on there. Yeah. And Queen's a weird one because musically they're more like a heavy metal band or a prog band, but they came out later in 73. So they were originally marketed as a glam mm. band, as weird as that is to conceive of. But for a minute well, the there, they is, do were... you think if, if, if Mercury, go ahead, if, if, if Freddie Mercury was still still alive, that he would have given him the high hand like uh, Zeppelin, or he would have gladly appeared on the in the documentary? You know, my bet is Freddie would have been there, but because um, yeah, yeah. uh, he was he was very accessible until his illness. But there's no telling; yeah. he was also pretty mercurial yeah. and and fun up pumps. <laughs> <laughs> And was immensely huge. But the, other, yeah. but the, the important thing about Queen is not only did they pull off the cross between Led Zeppelin and Yes, that a lot of people thought was an absolutely terrible idea, um, but it was immensely mm. successful. But Freddie Mercury is the most operatic rock singer in 
rock to that point like mm-hmm. no holds no doubt about that and rob halford stole his whole act from freddie mercury right. so you know where this is going well, is essentially judas priest well, uh, is the point of Brit- early british metal just like kiss was the point of early american metal and i i think i think queen leads directly to judas priest do you disagree yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. But you, you, if you hear Halford talk about his early his early existence, um, he describes himself, I think, you know, aptly, appropriately, as uh, a theater kid, you know. Um, and um, so, I mean, to, to which is very very different from um, say what Kingdom Come did with uh, with Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin. Right? Yeah, I'm not trying yeah. to say that. That his yeah. whole exposure to opera and, and and the Western musical tradition is via Queen. I mean, right, he right. he had his own credibility and roots there, but Freddie yeah. Mercury definitely opened a lane for not only yeah. operatic singers but closeted gay male singers who are as yeah. absolutely camp and theatrical as it's mm. possible to be. And we'll talk about Red, Rob Halford more. But was 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 Freddie really closeted? I I, I don't know anybody who was ever a fan in the, of Queen in the seventies. That's he, what I'm talking about. <laughs> he he was a bit more nuanced with it. He didn't come out and say, and he was had a long time live-in female partner, and would talk that up. And so he well, wasn't. I don't know. If, uh, he wasn't. If you remember the gay, the, the gay clone look, um, and that's oh, what he, they, that's yeah. self, self-described in late in the '70s with the the ribbed T-shirt yeah, and the mustache. The mustache which and was and like, he got more flamboyant yeah. as the '80s went on, mm-hmm. and. Sadly, I did an episode on, on Queen a while ago, and I'm now blanking on when exactly he publicly came out. But I don't know that he he might not have even publicly come out in his entire life. His family, you know, was Iranian and extremely, extremely conservative. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and and you know, growing up in Borger, Texas, in the 70s and early 80s, there were two factual statements that could get your ass kicked faster than anything. One was saying pro wrestling was fake, and the other one was saying that Rob Halford was gay. Like mm-hmm. if, I mean, if you went anywhere <laughs> yeah, okay. near there, you would get your yeah. ass kicked so bad by the most homophobic Judas Priest loving rednecks you've ever seen. And Queen had a very similar homophobic redneck jock fan base. I mean, mm. they, they absolutely did. So yeah, yeah. You know. and, and these are the same guys who had you know the accept record at home. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I looked, at, I looked at that. I was like, I got you. <laughs> yeah. It was that was pretty obvious, you know. Um, but yeah. but and, and we'll talk about accept in the power metal episode. And I do want to also mention they could have talked about the scorpions in this episode, mm-hmm. maybe. Although they're not English, but they were coming through that same area yeah. and michael shinker who was originally the scorpions guitarist was in ufo which is one of the yep. british metal bands that that yep. they could have would have should have talked about this but i don't know how significant it was anyway then they get to rainbow and thank god they did i mean ronnie james dio absolutely deserves his props and he had a weird mm-hmm. career where he does three albums with rainbow which was richie blackmore's yep. rainbow and Richard was seen as a sequel to Deep Purple more so than an innovative new thing. Then he's mm-hmm. in Black Sabbath for two albums, two great albums that totally brought him back. And I remember there for a couple yeah. of years in the early 80s. I mean, Ozzy with Randy Rhodes was going toe to toe with Tony Ayami and Ronnie James Dio. I mean, yeah. you know, it was as great as the WWE Monday Night Wars uh, in the 90s. But, you know, so so I'm glad that they gave Ronnie James Dio his propers here. And, and they really essentially boil it down to the fantasy element. 
you know, that, that his key yeah. contribution was just going absolutely over the top with the whole tarot card, sorcery, Lord of the Rings, wizards, dragons, uh, the whole bit, you know, and, and it's just awesome. I mean, and, and at the time there wasn't any kind of, there was geek culture. I mean, Dungeons and Dragons was coming out and was massively popular, yeah. but geek culture was not cool. And I can remember my brother and his friends digging rainbow and then turning on rainbow because of the silliness. Mm. Like, like, you know, there was a certain point when they graduated high school or whatever, where they were too cool mm. for the swords and sorcery and everything. But you guys got any comments on, on rainbow Alexi? You got any uh, Ronnie James Dio? No, my Ronnie James Dio, the thing is with this, uh, part of the episode, it really was stretching it in terms of my, uh, when I was listening to metal, when it was happening, you know, this is before I was listening to metal, and yeah, uh, and and when it went so far back with the sweet, and these were groups that uh, a certain element of Deep Purple, it's things that were constantly referenced, but not anything that I knew anybody during my time. It's like, oh, you gotta listen to the Sweet Album. Oh, you gotta listen to you know. So Ronnie yeah. James Dio is metal, so he's a guy who. Totally, like you said, it's, I'm glad to see that he got his props. And then near the end of the episode, you know, it gets closer to what people know as metal. But it, the thing I found that was just so disappointing is, you know, you, you do a quick comparison between hip hop evolution and metal evolution. And the individuals who were linked to early hip hop that wanted nothing to do, it was like what Frankie Crocker, right? So it's like maybe him and what Hollywood, like, so like two people. Two people, right? And everyone else, like to this day, like they're rocking hip hop. This is the culture. We got to keep the culture alive, you know. And it just—it's heartbreaking. You see individuals that, oh yeah, we're the godfathers of of metal, but I, you know, I, I deny the parentage. It, it's, and 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 that's another thing that was that's kind of sad watching is the fact that just this wanting of like, oh, let us show this evolution. We're not crazy, and like, there's value to it, and like the people that were so seminal to it, want nothing to do with it, or are so minimizing their role, and it it totally played into what Ronnie James Dio said in the sense that metal, the little guy, like he's speaking for the little guy, and totally after so many episodes of people disavowing their connection. It's, you know, it showed exactly why he is where he is in the pantheon of metal. Yeah, absolutely. And not only because he, he popularized the devil horns, but because he was open. He was he was unabashed, unashamed of it. Um, and he was an older dude. You know, he's about the same age, I think, as Elvis and Frankie Valley. So, I'm completely obsessed with Dio, have been obsessed with Dio for years, spent an entire summer listening to nothing but Holy Diver, went to see him play, scheduled to interview the guy, and I think dismissing, not dismissing, but characterizing the, the fantasy element, you have to understand that was a Trojan horse for his, his, uh, his really deeply held beliefs, which is what I was going to ask in the interview if I got a hold of him, was I put him in the same category in terms of his belief system with Kenneth Anger. Um, you know, so all of that four P stuff and like, yeah, all, all, all of that, all, it was, it was the maker very of the much, film Scorpio was for rising, except yes, yes, right. This was all, all part of the shtick, which it slowly became more apparent over the course, over the course of time. Um, you know, with the iconograph, uh, you know, of from, uh, yeah, the devil horns, but if you remember Last in Line and all the, 
Um, and he, he his penchant for using the word rainbow in every song is, you know, that being represented the covenant to never not destroy through water again, but next time through fire. I mean, it was all heavily, you know, um, heavily saphonic. Um, and uh, and that, that he managed to do that when ACDC, you know, uh, were getting dragged into court for, during the satanic panic and he just kind of skirted right by it. It was a really masterful act. It, it, and if you, it's like, if you had the ears to hear it, you heard it. And I think that was the most significant lyrical contribution. Yeah, okay, you know, it's only been an hour since they locked her in a tower. Yeah, yeah there was that element, but it was all magic, and, which was a, a, a pretty clear highway to to the darker stuff, which um, he was uh, clearly a student of. So, and he alludes um, to that and, in the interview because he yes. says, I want to get you thinking. I want you to get you imagining and going, why is this guy talking about dragons and what's he really talking about? So, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. That, right. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. A absolutely. A, a, a clue a, a, a phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and not just a great technical singer, but but yeah, I'll just. A, 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 a doo-wop singer, doo singer as well. Yeah. It's to begin with. And, and the funny band. thing about yeah. about the guy. Uh, and I'm not an expert around G James Dio, but given his personal belief system, you don't hear a lot of bad things said about him. Like he's not Gary yeah. Glitter or somebody that was a monster in his personal life, as far as we know. You know, pretty decent guy. Just... Well, uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to start. I don't want to start saying that he and I are Eskimo brothers, uh -huh. but he and I are Eskimo brothers. So, oh my goodness! Wow. Um, <laughs> to, but to 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 her credit. She had nothing, said he was a perfect gentleman, had nothing creepy or weird to say about him, except for the fact that when she was dating him, I don't know exactly on which side of 18 she was. That's it. You ah. know. Well, you know, the age consent varies in various jurisdictions. So, Well, also, you know, people are up in arms about the Bob, Bob Dylan and the, the David Bowie thing. It's like, this was a different time, you know. Yeah, it was a different time. And the Dylan thing, as a sideline, is probably utter bullshit, but um, neither here nor uh, there. And then they move on to Judas Priest, which is what they're working towards for this whole episode. And I went back and listened to the whole Judas Priest catalog, getting ready for this. And my goodness, they are definitely an advance in the state of the art. I mean, you know, I, yeah, I love Rainbow, yeah. love the big F3. And I really was more of a Black Sabbath guy my whole life. My whole band was... Yeah a Sabbath Melvin's ripoff band kind of thing. But Priest is definitely modern metal in a way that none of those other guys are. Yeah. And it's not yeah. just the black leather and the silver spikes and, and the motorcycle screaming. on stage, the motorcycle on stage and the, the twin guitar thing. Um, right. Although again, I think that if they, the problem with Judith with thin Lizzie, I mean, it's obviously yeah. Phil and it's been dead since the early eighties and mm. You know, I don't know who else in the band they could have got to talk to. I've seen other documentaries with the Thin Lizzy guys, but the thing about Thin Lizzy and Judas Priest is Thin Lizzy perfected that two guitar, lead guitar harmony style um, mm. before Judas Priest did. And obviously Wishbone asked who they cite here yeah, yeah, as their influence yeah. on that. They were doing that too. A lot of people were doing that too. I mean, that goes back to like, Paul McCartney and George Harrison doing that on Enya Bird Can Sing with the Beatles. Jimmy mm. Page and Jeff Beck doing a lot of that stuff when they were in the Yardbirds for six months. Dwayne Allman and Dickie Betts and the Allman Brothers absolutely perfecting it. Yeah. And so yeah, yeah. it was definitely not 
like Thin Lizzy were the only people doing it, but they were in the hard rock context in Britain getting really big doing it, you know, 76, 77. And, and so, you know, it's bum it's a bummer to me. Phil Lynott's a, I, I had a big Phil Lynott period, kind of like your Dio period. And, and yeah. you know, the only Afro Irish guy in rock and roll for one yeah, thing. And, and, yeah, yeah. and he yeah. was kind of the last of the, I'm more than metal guys like their first yeah. couple albums were really unfocused and all over the place but eventually they did figure out okay we are kind of the hard rock bruce springsteen with this twin guitar mm. thing and they, and they went for that and you know anyway it, uh, also just, also I, would, also I have to say th th uh, thematically uh, you, you can't un underestimate the whole i mean we talk about judas priest and it's become we kind of are used to it but by choosing the name judas priest they were actually doing something, you know, like yeah, Dio. They were like, carrying on the Black something. Sabbath. Yeah, yeah, in plain yeah. sight. So, yeah, yeah ab absolutely, and and and, um, and yeah, just you know, um, pretty much perfected modern heavy metal. And and at the time, you know, if you go back and you read reviews of Judas Priest in almost any music magazine, New Music Express, Melody Maker, Rolling Stone, yep, they were just seen as like the last idiots to fall off the cabbage truck. Like nobody got that these guys are the future. Like, you know, that yeah. everybody was like, these guys yeah. are so derivative and so retro. Like yeah. it was yeah. bad enough yeah. when yeah. Jimmy Page was stealing the blues licks, but now these guys are stealing watered down versions of Jimmy Page licks. Yeah. And you don't even know if they know idiots. the blues. Yeah. You know, blah, blah, blah. And, and yeah, I would love to, to have a time machine and take some of those rock critics into the future and show like Judas yeah. Priest is actually the, fucking future right here of yeah, of rock right. and roll are they even in the yeah. rock and roll hall of fame yet like i don't think they are like i don't know but I mean, everybody knows at this point, and everybody knows at this point it's a scam <laughs> you know money well yeah yeah it. it's it's who can but sell whatever. tickets for young winner so alexi yeah, but if there's, when, a, if, if there's a better if there's a better song than free wheel burning i just like I, <laughs> that's when i gave it up finally for, for judas priest i go that's it that's it <laughs> one of the greatest <laughs> bands ever for this song you know so. yeah and and i mean for me it was uh unleashed in the east the live in the studio yeah. album that halford recently admitted that he cut all of his vocals in the studio after the fact but absolutely great live album yeah. um yeah. alexi now you say that you know rainbow and all this other stuff was ancient history to you did Judas Priest have that same thing, or or were they still current? By the time no, they started? were current. I think for me with Judas Priest, it was this weird dynamic because during the time I was going to church, I was going to Baptist church, so mm -hmm. I didn't mess with. I had individuals in my family that were involved in different kinds of s spiritual things, so there were certain kinds of uh, elements uh, that you know. For instance, I was not. Uh, that's how you the my Dungeons and Dragons story, yeah, the Monster Manual, right? So because yeah, of that kind yeah. of stuff, there's certain things that if they flirted a little too much with the occult, you know, even if it was on the nose, I didn't fuck with it. So it was something that maybe like when I was in my twenties that I was listening to, as opposed to like when it was fresh and new. Yeah, oh, yeah. So forget, yeah, and for those who didn't young, hear that story, go ahead and tell that story. Was it your uncle that your mom brought in and had? No, I, yeah. So it has. I, I an uncle that was just you know he performed certain rituals. So his whole belief was that he did not think Native Americans on my mother's side. He didn't think Native Americans were strong enough because they allowed invaders to take over their continent. Mm -hmm. Whereas uh, he practiced certain kinds of things in West Africa with peoples that had never been conquered. So. There's certain rituals that he would engage in. He sacrificed some goats on my playground set because there was a serial killer <laughs> loose in the neighborhood. 
And he went to my father's, hey, Mike, uh, you might have to do something in your, in your yard back there, you know. <laughs> and uh, and so so he sacrificed some goats and I told my father right before, he's like, nah, what I'm going to do is you're going to see something. And I want you to just think of something good. Just think of something good. Don't think of anything bad. Think of something good. And my father immediately went into the bad thing that he wanted to have happen. And the bad thing that happened, a good thing did. My father said he saw a swarm. He said, just out of nowhere, he saw this like swarm of insects just – come through and just swoop down and then just just as the ritual happened he was like what the fuck and he made a sculpture out of it which changed colors the next night anyway so my uncle came over one day and i was like hey uncle louis look at this and he was like oh i know some of these brothers here oh yes uh and then he said why don't you go upstairs and play with your brother and he told my mother like he shouldn't be playing with that shit. <laughs> He's like, the entities that are there are real. I do rituals with some of them. I know other people do rituals with some of them. He shouldn't be fucking with that shit. Like, don't have him play with this at all because this is tapping into actual stuff. And so that was the end of my Dungeons and Dragons. Let's see. Ant Ant spooked you spooked you away from Judas Priest. Hey, you probably so. got you you probably got you probably got laid a little bit more as a result of not playing that game. Well, you know what? I was straight edge without knowing what straight edge was, so I I I, I cared. I too, I too had a, had a, a, a involuntary straight edge period. But, uh. I was like, oh, that's what that was. Oh, I was ahead of my time, or right with the time. Yeah, I didn't even know yeah. it. Yeah, I, yep, st- I yep. still, bl- I still, I still blame Ian for that. You know how many times I slept over in somebody's bed and was like, you know, just because we're in bed naked doesn't mean that we need to have sex. I think. Uh, God, I listened to that guy for five minutes. <laughs> Kick myself. Well, you don't have to worry about Judas Priest pushing straight edge. So, <laughs> although, although they had a whole other subtext, and and to me, to this day, it's still just amazing that they push this whole gay leather biker thing. I can't think of anybody that pushed it harder in pop culture than them. I mean, anybody was there a disco band that pushed it? harder i mean well, there was the like village, the scab the brothers village. had one minor hit single i mean like the village, the village anybody people, but they were had they also had the they Indian weren't leather the construction they, worker and, who was yeah. leather. no they no no leather. there was a leather guy there was a leather guy in yeah. the village people but that was one guy well, he was right? mixed in with the native american and the sailor yeah. and all yeah. you know all that stuff and it was yeah, such a cartoon yeah, yeah. but the fact that that was getting over in mainstream america without anybody cluing in for the most part like, but i don't think in- it was as dangerous but the difference is i don't think it would be it was as dangerous for village people fans who for some reason didn't know what their deal was as opposed to rob halford and and judas freeze fans you know like that's the thing that uh you know you know, you know victor willis was surprised to learn that the band was gay <laughs> he completely missed that that's how good the cocaine was in the 70s somebody had to say <laughs> says to him about like you know you're the gay band. Is, well, what are you talking about? Well, no, you know you're a gay icon. The guys in your band are gay. It's like what? He did it. The whole subtext he didn't get. You know. <laughs> I, you know, it's entirely possible. To, uh, you know, I, I could. I wouldn't be surprised if KK Downing came out with that story. You know, I mean that he might not have known until much later. Although I do know in the late, by the late '80s, Judas Priest had like a big compound in Arizona. And mm. that Rob had a series of proteges that he was grooming for stardom yeah. or something, and that, and that, that there were a lot of sort of disillusioned want to be heavy metal singers who went you, out there to you, 
steady you at the feet of Rob pre, Halford. Pre-AIDS, pre-AIDS versus post-AIDS. Pre-AIDS in the 70s, in the late 70s, New York Magazine was putting articles out about bisexuality chic. You know, there was a tearful, uh, I'm quitting music, Elton John, and uh, really, I'm gay. And people were like, cool, whatever, bro. So it was like this whole, like, experimenting with the sexuality thing. So it was it was kind of an open secret. The, the, you know, it, gayness didn't get weird. I mean, people in maybe small towns would still kick your ass for being gay, but in the urban centers, you know, Mick Jagger was kissing Ron Wood on Saturday Night Live. I mean, this was just something that people did. And then AIDS hit and it became, it was like mm. re-stigmatized. So, um, yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's, that's very true. And, and priests started out before that period, obviously their you know, peak period yeah. is the late 70s, but they were, they were big all through the 80s and, and yeah. wrote, yeah. Out the, wrote out the AIDS era. But anyway, anything else uh, we need to cover from this episode? I like the fact that we haven't mentioned Ripper once. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll let people do their own research and follow up yeah, on that. Yeah. We'll be back next time to continue our discussion of Metal Evolution with a look at episode four, um, the new wave of British heavy metal. Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter at Let It Rollcast. And check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. Next week, Nate, Eugene, and Alexi continue the history of heavy metal with a discussion of the new wave of British heavy metal, which produced acts like Iron Maiden and Def Leppard. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast, and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.PantheonPodcasts.com. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.